Good morning, church. Is that what you've been asking? Like, what's happened to church? So strange this time. And for anyone who's ingrained with the habit of always getting up and going to the church building on Sundays, uh, this just doesn't feel right. And until the restrictions get released or we can safely practice coming back and doing worship together, it's just going to feel weird for a while. However, did you notice that the elements that we do online, though, are really many of the same things that we would do if we were in the same room at the same time, doing this together. And it is that that we want to talk about, those elements, those practices, those motions that we go through, because it's part of the how-tos. It's what Christians do, whether or not they understand them, or why they're important, or just if they feel weird. And believe me, that's how I felt really going back as well about something that the just, you know, I couldn't understand the first time I saw it. So a little backstory. I grew up in a church that was all the music out of the hymnal. And we sang strong and long and in harmony. And no one moved any other body part. No one raised their hand. I mean, except to stretch or scratch or, you know, uh, keep something from falling on your head. <laughs> I mean, everybody knew the rule. And that's what you did. So imagine my surprise the first time I go into a church and I see people with doing the, all the different other forms. And I, I know, imagine their minds were on God, but in my mind, I couldn't get past what it looked like. I mean, you had the stretched out arm that was like saying, hello to God. <laughs> you had the big arms, you know, extensions that's holding like two bags of groceries. Or you had like the, the tighter versions that they do look like, you know, toss the baby, toss the baby, I'll, I'll catch it. <laughs> or you had the, the kind of a victory move, you know, it was just like the runner crossing the line or, you know, basketball player, you know, hit their shot. You had that real strong arm that reminds you of an infamous salute during World War II. <laughs> and then, oh, now this was an easy one. Because, you know, this, uh, from East Waterloo, I mean, everybody knew that's what you do after the cops say through the bullhorn, come out with your hands up. Everyone knew. <laughs> and you had just these different parts and things. It's like, yeah, I got that. He got that, that one where it's, it's true of what, you know, the guy on the first car of every roller coaster ride does. And you had the swaying reeds of switchgrass and kelp in the wind. <laughs> you, this one lady, she had her head on her arm, you know, kind of leaning. And, you know, it was like the swimmer doing the side stroke. <laughs> and then the other one, I don't know what this was. It was like against something. Like she was pushing away the evil one. And really, a lot of people, to me, they just looked like they were conducting like uh, uh, orchestras, dream orchestras in their heads. And I mean, here, this hymnal holding, you know, traditions with hands in the pockets did not prepare me for this. Clearly, I needed to learn a lesson in how to do church. Well, Josh is going to come and take the lead on that, but I wanted to take the first part of singing, not, not sinning, that we don't do that at church, singing. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I don't know if you noticed it, but when you saw the worship practice team singers singing facing each other, you might have thought, well, that's weird, but really biblical, maybe in a way you hadn't really thought of before. And as they did that, I don't know if it prompted you to like, oh, suddenly turn to the person that you were watching with and just start singing to them, you know, how great thou art. I doubt you did that, and it's song's not about them. But if you did, it'd be quite biblical, because it says here, Ephesians chapter 5, be filled with the Spirit. Yep, we got that down, but watch. 
speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. So the song is to the Lord, but it's a communal act that you do with those you worship with. So you speak to one another as you make melody in your heart. Every worship leader tries to remind everybody always the direction of worship. It is to God. It's for his glory. Jesus said that you worship the Lord your God and him only. But if you think about many of the words of our praise songs and our hymns and God's hymnal, which is the Psalms, you realize that's not strictly vertical. Worship is also horizontal. Let us exalt his name together. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So we're singing to each other about what God has done. And of course, worship is also very personal. I will bless the Lord at all times. I lift up my hands to you, O God. You know, Jesus told us that the Father seeks worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit. Your whole human spirit involved. That means everything attached to that. And it's sincere and you're taking it in. It includes your emotions. And it's like you get it all going on to get engaged. Yes, your heart needs to be engaged. That is what he's calling us to in worship. Everything involved. And you know, when you see someone who's totally engrossed in it, you see them like raising their voice and their hands. You think what? They're passionate toward God. And there we go. We're passionate to God. And then his passion is for us, James 4, 5. You have in this participatory practice of singing as this communal act, and it's reciprocal. The singing is going out, everyone's around you doing this, and it's going to each other, but it's all headed toward God. But then you know, the angels are accompanying it, and it keeps going around. And if you don't join in, we miss your voice. It breaks the chain of the communal act. Now, birthdays are kind of weird right now, too, because, you know, you're always used to, like, groups come together and they sing the birthday song to you. And I uh, can't do that right now. Well, mine came up, and uh, Julie did a great job bringing surprises. Uh, ended up in, uh, resulting in emails that came to you. Thank you for that. And the staff did one of those drive-by celebrations. That was so cool, and I don't know if anyone else had that opportunity. And then finally, on Zoom, we got the kids on there and their spouses, and they sang the birthday song to me. And it was bad. I mean, it was really quite hilarious. But that's just it. That might be the very thing that is holding you back. Because you are self-conscious and you think that you, God, or other people are not going to enjoy hearing singing that's off-key or it's not very melodious. Oh, no. Got to understand, singing's not optional. It's commanded. The Lord said, sing to him a new song. And he's got you covered on any lack of quality because he also says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And you're going like, okay, (laughs) I could do that. Yeah, it's good enough for God. Just don't join the praise team. But everyone can make a noise. And there you go. The practice of singing is what helps everyone's hearts open up to God. Have you ever heard the phrase, practice makes perfect? I mean, if anything, practice makes better is more accurate. The thought's still the same though, right? The more that you work at something, the better you're going to get at it. When I was a kid, I remember 
we had basketball camp in the summer. And one summer in particular, my brother, he said, hey, you want to make the basketball team? I'll be your coach. Now, my brother wasn't on the basketball team, okay? I think it's more of a scenario where my older brother just wanted to boss me around a little bit. But I liked the thought of hanging out with my older brother. So I said, sure, you can coach me. So he had me running laps around the house doing basketball drills in the front yard and all kinds of things like that. And come, come time for the season to start, I would practiced really hard. I'd improved. And guess what? I still didn't make the basketball team. Now that's, that's all right though. I mean, I had at least improved some of the skills and worked hard at it. And I learned how to, you know, spin the ball on my finger and useful things like that. But all kidding aside, I had more confidence as a player. I was having more fun when I played basketball. And I was a better asset to my teammates, even in just little pickup games. When it comes to church, have you put any practice in? We know that God's called us to sing to one another, as Tim mentioned. We know that there are elements that make up a church service. There's prayer and worship and communion and fellowship, Bible study, all those different things. We know those. But all you athletes out there, let me just ask you a hypothetical question. If you were to approach your coach and say, you know, coach, I think these practices are boring, and I really like the lights and everything whenever it's uh, game time, so I think I'm just going to show up for the game. How would that work out for you? I don't think it would work very well. Even if you flipped it around and it was somebody who said, I think I only just want to practice, coach. Just when it comes time for the game, there's too much pressure. Just, just leave me on the side. I don't need to worry about that. I mean, we've got players on team church that randomly choose which practices they come to. And I think the statistic is something like people come to church 1.8 times a month. Church is like practice for God's team. It's important. It's crucial to work out the problems and improve your effectiveness. It's the perfect tool to deepen your relationship, to prepare you for the game, since the game is living out the Great Commission. So we can't just skip practice as if it's not important. We can't just sit on the sideline of practice and not ever get your hands dirty or break a sweat. So when it comes to practice at church, here are a few things that I think are important to remember. The first, form matters. What I mean by that is this. Your form in church are the physical steps that you take to engage. They help us to focus our efforts, to remove distractions, to encourage other people. And these elements are visibly seen by others in the room. And they're vital to church. The difficult thing is when we practice in bad form. Bad form are like bad habits that are hard to break. When I first started playing guitar, I didn't have any formal training. And so some of the finger positions that I, I used for, for certain chords were all mixed up. And the way that I held the guitar pick was, was not how you're supposed to hold a guitar pick. And it wasn't until actually I was in Bible college and I'd been leading worship for a few years that I began taking actual, for the first time in my life, lessons on guitar. And I realized very quickly, I had a lot of bad habits. And my guitar teacher began to, to break some of those down and, and really build a firm foundation 
so that upon that, I could improve as a guitar player. Now, sometimes we have bad habits that we need to break in our worship, in our prayer, in our Bible study. Many of the things that make up how we do church. So practicing the correct form will prepare you to draw closer to Jesus. And so here's a few tips for that prayer form. You know, if we're together in the same room and and I said, hey, let's pray. What are some things that would physically happen in that moment? Well, you'd probably bow your head. You you might fold your arms and you, you close your eyes. Now, does that mean that God can only hear you when your eyes are closed? That's not the case. We know that for sure. I mean, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. So you can pray without ceasing while you're doing the dishes. You can pray without ceasing when you're cutting the grass or playing with your kids or while you're out jogging. The form of practicing praying with your eyes closed simply helps bring focus to your time of prayer. Bowing your head, why do we do that? Well, it shows respect, right? It's, it's a humility step. Folding your hands, you know, it signifies stopping what you're doing, that this is important, you're going to focus on it. Even holding hands, now that's not just like, you know, the first step in Christian dating, right? Oh, hey, I want to stand next to her during prayer time. That's not what it means, right? Holding hands when you pray with others, it shows unity, that we're sharing in Christ together. All of these forms of prayer help you enrich your prayer life. You should try some of them. Another physical form to help you engage is how do you study the Bible? How do you study God's word in a form? So this applies to both in church and personal study. When you open up God's word, what's your form? You know, when it's message time, do you have your Bible app out or your Bible? And are you, uh, you know, taking notes? Are you leaning forward, you know, doing active listening? Or is it more like you're just kind of lounging and, uh, you know, you're scrolling on Facebook and not really paying attention? Now, I'm not the preacher, so I get to say this, but uh, don't you think that if you were responding during the message time to Tim in an active listening style where you're engaged and you're actually really focused, don't you think that would even help him to preach even better? So... I know for me personally, when I have a worship service and people are actively worshiping with me, it pumps me up. So practice your Bible study form. It, it helps to change that position physically to help engage during that time. And that third study is your worship form. Now, Tim mentioned lots of different things about your form of worship. And so we know there's, there's all kinds of different positions in order to engage in God. But just as active listening during the message can improve the experience for all, actively and visibly engaging in the worship time greatly improves our worship team's ability to lead. And I know we're not in the room together for church now, but practicing these forms is going to help your ability to connect to God in worship. All of these forms help us. But we also need to remember that great worship form doesn't equal great worship. God isn't isn't impressed by a show. God is looking at your heart. However, practicing a form helps lead your heart into worship. So the second thing that matters, that first part is changing that physical form, 
Your form matters. How you approach God and engage in worship through physical positioning. The second thing, though, is how your heart matters. Your heart matters when you come to worship. A lot of times people think that form and heart are in conflict with one another. And what I mean is this, that some churches are strictly form-based and and some are solely heart-based. Now, form-based worship services are what we often refer to as liturgical services. They have written procedure uh, that in some cases preserves centuries of worship schedules and even the exact words of what prayers to say at certain times. Now, heart-based worship services are often referred to as more charismatic services where scheduling out every moment of a service would be frowned upon because it's more so about submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And while those two religious philosophies might conflict, I don't believe that worshiping with form and heart are in conflict. And here's why. I believe the form leads us to the heart. You know, Jill and I have been doing pretty much the only thing that you can do as a family uh, when you need to get out of the house. We've been taking little strolls around the block. And uh, Jill actually even joined one of those running groups that just kind of helps keep people accountable. And, and they give you a form for running to, to train. So, you know, it starts out and you, you walk for a few minutes and then you jog for a few minutes and then you walk and then you run and you get the picture, right? Well, We've also got three kids. So sometimes it complicates the process a little bit. When we go for a run, we take a double stroller and, you know, our daughter's in the front and the boys kind of have to rotate who sits in the back. And we might bring a, a bike or a tricycle or, or a wagon. And it, well, let me just show you some of the shenanigans that can happen. Take a jog, they said. It'll be fun, they said. So in that video, that was our daughter Jubilee in the front. Jude was in the middle holding the handlebars of the tricycle that Josiah was sitting on, which was propped up on the back of the stroller, and I was holding the side trying to run. I mean, talk about resistance training, right? Now, I'm not a runner. That might not be obvious to you, but I'm not a runner, but John Smay, our media minister, is. And so I asked him about this. Now, he's the kind of person who runs marathons on purpose, okay? Like, he he chooses to run 26.2 miles for fun. Okay, you can draw your own conclusions from that. But he spends, get this, about two hours of time before a race in active motion, And then, even one step beyond that, he will spend about 10 to 15 minutes jogging to warm up for the 26.2 mile race. When you're preparing to run, you have to warm up your body. Now, likewise, if you expect to simply walk into a worship service and immediately be slayed in the spirit. Now, I'm not doubting that God can do it. He could do it. But if you want consistency 
to consistently have that kind of worship experience and encounter God during worship services, then follow the form of warming up. Following the form of worship will lead your heart to the rhythm of running with God. Now, if you only ever practice the form of worship, it's not enough. And if you expect to start with your heart immediately running to the rhythm of God's grace, you will struggle consistently. But if you find a balance in church by following the form with the purpose of leading your heart to God, you'll find success. That means raising your hands before you feel like it. That means maybe singing with a smile on your face before you even understand where that smile should come from. Follow the form with your body and your heart will be led consistently to the Lord. Now the third thing that matters when you do church is growth. Growth matters. So those physical steps you take, the form that you take, it matters. And that should lead to your heart responding in worship and that matters. And the last step is seeing growth. Making progress matters. A team practices to improve. And we do church to make progress in our relationship with Christ. Hebrews 6, 1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And in verses before this, in chapter 5, it even mentions the expectation that believers should reach a point where they've become teachers. That they've moved beyond the milk and they've gone on to solid food. And we see this type of analogy in several places in the New Testament. And again, I want to play the since I'm not the preacher card. Do you realize that it's not Tim's job to make you grow? It's also not Tim's job to spoon feed every believer. It is the responsibility of each believer to become self-feeders. Now you have kids that you teach how to eat, what to eat, when to eat. And then eventually they have to start feeding themselves. The same is true for believers. You might start out needing that kind of discipleship and care learning how to study God's word and and what and where to study. But eventually, you should be feeding yourself. So follow the form with your body and your heart will be led consistently to the Lord. And when you do that, you will see growth in your relationship with Christ because that's how we do church. We're going to take the Lord's Supper now. If you would, gather something like the bread and juice that you can use to participate in this time in which we are remembering Jesus. And it's also something just to dwell upon what he has accomplished for us. You might use it for a way to go back in time to when he did die on the cross. Focus on his love for you. Or reflect on your life before him, acknowledging those sins that he died for. Or just Get caught up in gratitude for what he has done for you. In whatever way you remember him, practice this. Do the motion from a sincere heart. And let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you and remember you. 
Thank you for giving yourself up for me. I've messed up many times, even at church with while I've approached worship, Lord. I want to get it right. But your cleansing means everything to me. Your mercy gives me that chance. How can I ever say it enough or sing loudly enough to glorify you for your kindness and goodness? I will never forget. In the name of Jesus, the Son, we pray. Amen.